Everything in life is story. Story is how we share ideas, politics, vision, fantasies, experiences, even our hopes and dreams. The Gibson Gazette is a podcast show devoted to story, those we consume, those we tell ourselves, and those told to us. Hello, hello, my peoples. How you doing? It's your girl AMC and Marie Collymore here. And I'm with your here. I'm here with your here. I'm here with our boy. <laughs> LMG. What's up, Mr. Mike? Yes, I'm L. Michael Gibson, aka LMG, the co-host of the Gibson Gazette podcast. And I am Glad that we finally got our shit together so that we could actually do this recording. For real. <laughs> Holy shit, Paula, guys. Let me tell you. Woo, the past few weeks have been crazy. I Crazy, sexy, cool. Hell no, I wish it was crazy, sexy, cool. It's been nuts. It's just been nuts. But as LMG said, we're here. We're ready to get it popping. We're going to cover some shit. Let's do this. Yes, indeed. So, AMC, um, what stories have you been consuming over the last two weeks that you want our audience to know about, but we're not going to go too deep into about today? I was, I'm was i so excited for this, <laughs> and I, I'm going to have to talk about it again at some point, but guys, I'm obsessed with Succession and Bel Air, but that's another convo for another time because I really want to sit down with, with LMG and, and dissect and talk about it, but... Um, I know I'm late about Succession, but just hear me out. So I started this show when I was sick. Mm, maybe last, what was it? I don't know. Anyways, last year sometime, I was really sick. And I said, okay, let me let me watch Succession because everybody's talking about it. So I started it and fell asleep and was like, no, this is boring as shit out of me. So <laughs> I don't know if it was just the timing or whatever, but. I decided, okay, after it's been raking up all of these awards for a bit, and from the counting that I did, they raked in a good, like, 42 awards, like, various awards across the boards, and it's it's been nuts. So I said, let me start it again, and I started it again when I was sick a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm just, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. So if you guys don't know, it's about the dysfunctional, um, as hell, and I mean dysfunctional, Roy family, who are owners of Waystar uh, Roy Co., which is a global media conglomerate, um, media and entertainment. And everyone is fighting for their peace and control of the company amid um, uncertainty about the health of the father's um, um, stuff going on, um, Mr. Logan Roy himself. So... Uh, Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall. I do you watch the show, LMG? Of course, I watch the show. I know. I yeah, was so like... I'm completely caught up. So yes, <laughs> okay. I, I you you are a little late. Yes, I was watching it in real time as it was happening. So I tried though. This is the thing. I tried and 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 off like from jump, it just wasn't hooking me in. But I don't know what did it this time. I sat up, I maybe because I forced myself to, and I was like, listen, you need to watch it. And then after the first episode, I was okay. What did I miss the first time around? And I just kept on going and going. One morning, I, I watched it until maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. And, mm. yeah, it, I, I got caught. <laughs> I went down a spiraling abyss of succession, and it was just, it was fantastic. Um, yeah, so Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall, he deserves every bit of 
his Emmy and Golden Globe wins. Like he, oh my God, insane. Brian Cox is Brian Cox. I mean, he's he's dope. The one thing I was a little disappointed of is that I don't see enough representation of our faces in there. I mean, it's media and entertainment. You know, we are in media and entertainment. We in there. The black faces, I'm not seeing a lot of that. Um, I do see a, a few, you know, sprinkled here and there. There's um, Parker Sawyers, who plays Alessandro, who's magically disappeared because he was one of the lawyers in season one. He's gone. Um, I'm really tired of seeing Juliana Canfield, who plays Jess Jordan. She's um, Kendall's executive uh, assistant, and I'm tired of seeing her run after him all the time. And I just, I need a character with substance. And I did read along the way that my girl Sana Lathan does come through. And I'm not going to lie, I was watching it right before I came to record. And it happened to be, I'm on episode three of season three. And Sana was in the first and second. So I'm hoping she doesn't kind of, you know, wither away into nothingness as well. I'm hoping to see more. I mean, you can go ahead and drop a little something and let me know she's going to be there for a while. I mean, (laughs) Sanaa is not in there deep. Like, she's there and she goes, she comes back. I mean, I I wasn't mad. I actually don't want black people in this world. Um, This world is awful. These people are awful. (laughs) These are horrible. this, This is a collection of some of the worst human beings on the planet. Thank you. Um, And so I'm okay with black people not necessarily being part of this world in a, in a real way. I mean, and on some level, yes, they are a media conglomerate family, but they're also part of the like billionaires leaning into trillionaire rich. Mm-hmm. And while there are a few of us in that, those tax brackets it's far and few in between. It's a pretty white world. So, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, if they, if they were kind of on the ground in the midst of the media, you know, running labels, running tele, but you know, running television shows, but they're not, they're above that. They're like running, you know, they have cruise lines and, (laughs) and, and, you know, right. Yeah. It's a whole nother level. It's more like Rupert Murdoch's family. And I don't know that Rupert Murdoch's (laughs) family is, you know, hobnobbing with the black elite. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and, you know, there's a lot of places I want black to see black faces, but these are some, I mean, like anybody and everybody in this world that they've shown so far is with very few redeeming qualities, <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. very, very limited redeeming qualities. And I want to give a special shout out, like you name checked all of the guys, but to me, Sarah Snook as Savan with the yes. black woman's body is my (laughs) with the black with the the banging black woman's body is my girl look i'm loving her and her outfits um and her shape shiv i love that too i was like yes shiv because she comes with it i mean you're you're on the season where she really comes into her powers as well so like i've already seen this season and you know i don't know where they could possibly go from here because wait till you get to the finale for this season i'm not gonna ruin it for you it's but everything comes to a head everything well they did sign on for another for season four so i'm quite uh i I really really want to see what's gonna come to fruition i mean there's just so much going on already 
and you're saying that it's gonna come to head, come to head. Like what the? <laughs> yeah, nah. They, you know, they 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 risk it all, and you'll okay. see whether or not risking it all as a family makes or breaks them. I'm just gonna leave mm-hmm. it at that for you. All right, <laughs> I look forward to it. So apparently, HBO is gonna owe us a check after this episode because I'm gonna talk about three HBO Max shows that I'm. Um, either watching or just finished. So mm-hmm. my trio of shows that I'm checking out is Julia, Minx, and Starstruck. Each mm-hmm. is a woman-centered story, boasting a multicultural cast, produced by Daniel Goldfarb of Miss Maisel fame. Julia is about the beginnings of Julia Child's mm-hmm. first show on public television um, in Boston, uh, The French Chef. So it's led by Sarah Lanchet. Uh, oh, can I say her name right? Lanarkshire. Lanarkshire? Um, Those who are Brit fans of the show Happy Valley will recognize her as, um, as that. But I actually, I've, I recently got through watching Happy Valley season two, and I'd seen all of the episodes of Julia, and I did not make the connection. I mean, and I've seen like Happy Valley season two, like in the last two months. So I, I mean, the, the performance she's pulling off is incredible. I mean, and she's following Meryl Streep, right, in playing Julia Child. So that, right. that's that's those are. I mean, plus Julia Child herself is such a very individual, very specific kind of a character and a woman. Yes. Um, and, but yeah, she's killing it. And, you know, for those who don't already know this, Frasier is one of my favorite shows of all times. And we're having a Frasier reunion of this show (gasps) on this show of David Hyde Pierce and BB Newworth. Um, so the other final in the show is the black actress, Brittany Bradford's performance as the fictitious Alice Newman. Um, she's based on, in part on a real life French chef, associate producer, Ruth Lockwood, you know, who was white, a white woman, but, you know, was also a pioneering producer. In this version of Child's History, it's Alice, the black girl who takes time um, to recognize what Julia Trials has that's special and again and again goes to bat for a show that the other man just can't see because, you know, it's the 1950s and they're not able to really get into the fact that Julia Childs could be a thing. Um, which, of course, you know, hindsight being 2020, all of this looks very ridiculous and sexist. Um, but then, you know, she not only gets the show on air, but she also gets it financed in ways that haven't yet been imagined, um, which is, you know, revolutionary. Uh, producers Kaiser and Goldfarb say that their research showed that there were young black employees at WGBH, the public broadcasting um, network out of out of uh, Boston in the early 60s. Boston. Yeah. Um, and the racism that Alice faced, they say, was part of the world that they tried to display, you know, for our purposes, they quote unquote, uh, for our purposes in 2022, talking about changes in the workplace and in society, we felt embodying these ideas and the character was beneficial. Um, they were careful to give her a meaningful storyline. She's not just there for the white protagonist. Um, she'll eventually later on make a, a relationship connection with a black guy or, you know, a guy that her mom tries to set her up with. Um, but, you know, racism is a part of her life in this show and sexism is a part of her life in this show, but it's not her only show, part of the story. But yeah, I love this show. I love the very modern, but yet not modern marriage of Julia and Paul Childs. Um, I find the show compelling and sweet. 
And I definitely recommend Julia. The other show I'm going to be much more brief about, Minx, is about the start of a fictitious feminist porn magazine launched in 1972 by a feminist editor played by Ophelia Lovabon of elementary fame, for those who are CBS elementary fans, um, who is also something of a sexual prude. You know, a little bit of oxymoron there. Um, And uh, the magazine is being published by this progressive porn king played by Jake Johnson, um, people who like Fox's New Girl will remember Jake Johnson as the lead guy on there. Yeah. Um, it's messy, fun, and occasionally poignant with lots of large prosthetic appendages flopping about. <laughs> 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 lots, of, lots, <laughs> lots of dick shots. Um, it also boasts Nigerian actress Adara Victor um, from Rizzoli and Owls as Tina, the behind-the-scenes glue to uh, publisher Doug Renetti's whole porn enterprise. Like she really is the heart of the show and she kind of keeps every, all of the trains running on time. Um, so we have, so then we have two shows now where the black woman is depicted as both put upon, but also like the real rising star of the whole thing. Right. Um, and the person who makes magic happen, which is not quite unlike the real world. Uh, my last show on that I'm checking out is Starstruck. It's kind of for those who remember Julia Roberts' Knob Hill movie. It's kind of a homage, also set in the UK, with an everyday mess of a woman played by Rose Matafeo. Herself is a white presenting biracial Samoan um, who finds herself repeatedly entangled with a major movie star who also happens to be Southeast Asian, played by Nikesh, um, Nikesh Patel. Um, those who are also UK fans will remember him from Indian Summers a few years back. Matafeo is creator and co-writer of Starstruck. Um, I've been in love with Nikesh Patel's impossibly perfect face since Indian Summers. And Matafeo is a floppy-haired goof that you can't help but love. Both seasons are available on HBO Max and are short and sweet. They like run about 25 to 26 minutes each. Uh, you can get through the whole thing, their whole love affair, uh, where they come together, break up, come together, break up, <laughs> uh, you know, in an afternoon, like, you know, make it an afternoon binge and get your life. So those are the things I'm checking out right now. And of course, I had already just told you right before I'm watching the Horace children of elite, um, season five on Netflix. They just launched their new season. Uh, you know, where all of the kids are sexually fluid and very promiscuous and do drugs and find themselves in lots of trouble, including murder. So, yeah, I ah, I, I, I stand by the Spanish novel- telenovela elite. On ah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So we're uh, changing it up, switching it on to loving it. But before we go to loving it, please make sure that you like, share, subscribe to the Gibson Gazette. Make sure you tell your friends about us. Um, follow us. And uh, make sure you're following us on all the different social media, not just uh, the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. All right. For loving it, we uh, normally tell stories that are positive, that we absolutely love and recommend people check out. So what are you loving these days, AMC? I I'm gonna go back a little but it, it's still relevant um I, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to quest love because 
Summer of Soul, it won an Oscar, which is fantastic, but he also just won a Grammy on the weekend, which is, well, last weekend by the time this comes up uh, to play. <laughs> but um, yeah, he won a Grammy, and that's huge. Um, this has been such a special documentary for Quest um, and for Harlem and music history. Uh, so the context of it all was... Um, the Harlem Cultural Festival, which is the brainchild of uh, Tony Lawrence. And uh, the festival is also known as Black Woodstock. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was a free series of um, six Sunday afternoon concerts that took place in 1969 at Mount Morris Park where, um, in uh, Harlem, as I said. So um, when you have a show with artists like Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, B.B. King and Nina Simone, and it receives little media coverage, and it has 300,000 attendees. Like, when you think about um, the artists and the, the, the Parthenon artists that were actually there, and yes, it's the 60s, but they were already, like, solidified as, um, you know, in uh, king and queens in entertainment at that time, where, of course, now they're legends, right, in their own right. Uh in, in black music individually too. So when you have all of this together, that really doesn't make any sense that there was no media coverage or little to me media coverage. Um, so where Woodstock of course took off in the media, this, the black Woodstock was actually sure to be forgotten, which it was until now. So just to sum it up, the um, documentary was a celebration and a look into Black music and culture and the political perspective of Blackness and Black pride at the time. So um, it, it really was a labor of love for Quest. I know that um, if you followed him on Instagram or Twitter, he spoke about this film with a passion all the time. Anytime he had a minute to do it, he did it. I mean, yeah, of course, you got to market your business, but he was really, really passionate about it. So I'm really happy to see that his team and and himself, like he was recognized for such an important, bringing such an important project to, to light. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into it. I think that everybody should either Google um, Summer of Soul, sorry, y'all. Um, Google it, see what you can find on it. There's so many articles. There are so many articles on it. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of things that went down behind the scenes. And of course, watch the doc, support and watch the doc. Talk about it. Keep on pushing it. Keep on watching it. Watch it over again if you need to. It's actually on Disney Plus. So everybody can get into it right now if you want to. <laughs> what about you? What did you have? Uh, I know you watched it already, LMG. What did you think? Yeah, I, I watched it, and um, not only did I watch it, I bought the CD. You can buy actually buy the CD for it, a physical media for it. You know, a lot of music is not available on CD anymore, but um, they did release this one. One of my favorite scenes on it is Mahalia Jackson singing with um, Mavis Staples. They do a duet together, which is just, like, super powerful with a mass choir behind them, and, and the whole thing is just super black and super killing it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting cause I'm more familiar with watch stacks, um, which was a documentary that came out in 1973, um, that commemorated the seventh anniversary of the 1965 riots, um, mm -hmm. and included the lineup from stacks records. Uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, which kind of has a similar look and feel, you know, there's, there, you know, these documentaries are a few years apart, about four years apart 
in terms of their depictions and recordings. Um, But Watch Dogs got tons of shine. Like, you know, the documentary came out, um, you know, it was very well publicized. Um, So I was surprised that uh, this, you know, seeing the success, usually Hollywood is pretty good if one thing is successful that looks like a thing, then they'll, you know, quickly churn out something else (laughs) that looks just like it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, this should have been immediately released following Watchstacks, given the success of that documentary and the way it has endured. Um, So I was a little surprised, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised, right? Um, I understand that this footage, you know, uh, was quote-unquote lost, but... You know, mm. and then and there's like mixed stories about that, right? Like I've yeah. heard it's, I heard it really wasn't lost. You know, it was was sitting there in um, the the archives um, and just needed someone to, you know, put it out. So I'm glad right. I'm glad that Questlove got his Oscar um, to go along with his Emmy. Uh, I'm also there was a the one of the few Southeast Asians to ever get an Emmy was also one of the producers on this film, and uh, you know it was lots of kerfuffle because <laughs> Chris Rock. Uh, called him white and he wasn't white he's southeast asian um there's like quiz love and the two white producers and you know the guy took offense obviously because he is one of the few southeast asians to actually get an oscar um so um but yeah people definitely should check out summer of soul and if you're still into physical media you should absolutely buy the cd i need to get that i had no idea about that so i'll be looking into that myself (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know how to be trusting these. You know, I'm old school. I'm a little conspiracy theory oriented. I don't be trusting these these streaming services to have obscure black memorabilia. You know, oh, it's, it's it's not obscure right now, but in ten years, people are like, "What? Who? What not album?" Even ten. Like you're gonna get a you're gonna receive that email where it says Summer of Soul is going to be like off of the uh, platform in ten days. So, right. Exactly. You know, so. And then what? So I, I try whenever possible to get physical media. Um, no, that was a great pick. Mine, I uh, hope, is equally good. So I love the season finale of Bel Air, but I don't want to give anything away for those who haven't seen it yet. You know, especially since we have we, it in Canada, so no. Yeah, haven't seen it. Okay, wow. Let's just say everyone acted their faces off, and Marlon Wayans has officially locked himself in for villain roles between this and his betrayal of part-time pimp and part-time Aretha Franklin's husband, Ted White, in respect. Mm. But I digress. Mm. <laughs> that's going to be the teaser for you. Damn, really? That's going to be the teaser for you. Yes, yes. It's you know a very what? powerful it- episode. I mean, when I say powerful, like... You'll be on your edge of your seat. You're going to cry. You're going to throw stuff at the TV. It's, it's no amazing. Way. It's an amazing finale. When I saw you scream on Facebook and say, Marlon Wayans, I was like, what? Marlon what? Marlon what? So I started searching and searching and searching. I'm like, what is he talking about Marlon for? And then I noticed people started talking about it. I was like, no, oh, man. Well, see, and I didn't want to give away what he plays, right? Like I just said that he, you know, Marlon Wayans. And people were like, you know, I just said his name at the screen. Folks yeah, was inboxing me. Folks were inboxing me. Oh, you got a picture of Marlon Wayne's dick? Let me see Marlon Wayne's <laughs> dick. <laughs> what he, you know, I was like, no, I don't have. Is there a sex tape with Marlon? I was like, I don't know. Y'all are a freaky mess. That's hot mess people who oh follow me on, on social media. No, that's not what's going on. It's not a. It's not a dick pic. It's not a sex oh tape. My you freaky people. God. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's mm-hmm. just, not, you know, and I would tell them in the inbox, but I didn't, I never did share on the thread itself. Cause I, I, I do think people should get that surprise on their own. 
Um, in any case, I digressed. So my loving it this week goes to the last days of Ptolemy Gray, mm-hmm. a six-episode American drama miniseries based on a novel of the same name by Walter Mosley that premiered on Apple Plus TV on March 11th and just concluded its run this week. Um, this, too, was a passion project. Speaking of passion projects by Black folk, um, for Lifetime Achievement Oscar winner. We have yes, to put that, we got to put that whole name in there. Yes. Lifetime Achievement Oscar winner, Samuel well L. Jackson. Deserved. Well deserved and overdue. Um, who yeah. played the title character, Ptolemy Gray. Gray is a lonely 93-year-old man with dementia who is temporarily able to remember his past through medical experimentation and uses the time to investigate the death of his caregiver nephew, Reggie, played by the superb six-foot-six Omar Benson Miller, last seen in HBO's Ballers. Um, I'm always very impressed by, about Omar Benson Miller's career. He's mm-hmm. such an unlikely movie star. You know, he's super tall. He's a very thick man, yes. um, big pie face. And he's always getting cast. Like, if you look at his IMDb, brother has not been out of work since he started doing work in the, in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. The show also is co-led by Dominique Fishback, who helped carry, and I'm going to say it, helped carry the film Judas and the Black Messiah to greatness as the young wife of slain civil rights leader Fred Hampton. Fishback here plays Robin a 17-year-old girl whose circumstances has her replaced Reggie as Ptolemy's caregiver, saving both of their lives. Much like season two of Castle Rock, this show attempts to give us the inside view on what it's like to have past and present collide in the mind of someone with advanced dementia. It also explains the present-day history of medical experimentation on Black bodies. As Ptolemy agrees to be part of an experiment that will advance the science for others down the road. Because Ptolemy's unique physiology allows him to tolerate this uh, treatment. Mm. Um, But after the treatment is done, it will only bring him fully back to his full faculties for four to six weeks. So there's immediately a time clock on this show. Um, And meaning you kind of get that from the title, right? The last days (laughs) of Ptolemy, right? right? Um, But after the six weeks, it's going to drop him off on an accelerated mental cliff. Appropriately, he refers to his medical doctor, researcher, who of course is a white guy, as the devil throughout the show. (laughs) He's very clear that he's volunteering himself to participate in a very long tradition of medical experimentation on black bodies to advance science. Um, But the show is not about that. The show is part murder mystery as we explore who killed Reggie, his nephew, Mm -hmm. a missive about well-meaning but ultimately destructive family members. And both toxic and healing romantic love for both Ptolemy and Robin. I was reluctant to take the ride at first, thinking it was going to be too dark and heavy. But instead, I found this work rich, layered, funny, contemplative, as much as it is occasionally dark. And I loved it immensely and highly recommend it. That's my love in it. The last days of Ptolemy Gray on Apple+. Plus. Every time I kept on seeing, um, actually, I sat down and I watched a trailer before it came out because I, I see Sam. I want to know what he's up to. And when I watched the trailer, I was afraid the same thing. I was really afraid of it being dark and heavy. 
And since having my son, I cry at McDonald's commercials. So (laughs) I really did not want to be sitting in pools of tears and and emptying tissue boxes like mad. So I said, you know what? It's about dementia. And just the the aesthetic of his character, I was like, oh, boy, this looks like it's going to be really rough. So I said, okay, I might just I put it in my queue, but I haven't gone near it. So if you're saying that uh, it's a mixture of emotions and oh, that yeah. I, won't, I won't be a sappy mess, then maybe I might take a look. Yeah, I mean, it is a mixture of emotions. Of course, anytime you have the, a character who's lived almost 100 years and his past is colliding with his present, you're going to get, you know, memories of lynchings. You're going to get memories of black, uh, you know, trauma. Um, But you're also going to get, you know, very romantic love. I mean, one of the things that I kind of joke about all the time, and I'm not really joking, is it seemed to me, yes, the relationships that folks were having in the 60s and 70s and and 80s even were pretty toxic. (laughs) I mean, like, they were really toxic, but, you know, we get it from our love songs, right, from those eras, right? I can't live without you. I'm going to die. (laughs) Maybe <laughs> I can't breathe. I, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm snotting. We're going to cry together. You know, like, yeah, yeah. But there is something kind of go for broke about that kind of love mm-hmm. that I don't see or hear about today. And when I do, it's like, oh, there was a murder suicide. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, we just were passionately <laughs> into each other in a way that made me want to sing about it. Right. Like, um, and so, you know, there was, you know, the relationship that Ptolemy has with his wife, Cynthia is that is, is the kind of love that you would have heard seventies R and B songs be made about, Mm -hmm. but also in today's lens, look at it as like, it's not really a healthy relationship. It's not really good (laughs) for you, girl, you know, but at the same time, man you know to have somebody love you that much and get you that much and and it be that passionate and powerful i mean like you know but you know even my stories of my family like that stuff was toxic but it was also right powerful and people didn't you know and even when they broke up they didn't get divorced right right. (laughs) you know my grandparents even you know after my grandmother grandfather split Mm -hmm. um you know, they had boyfriends and girlfriends and everything after that, um, but they never got divorced. And when he got lung cancer, she came back, took care of him until he died and buried him. Yeah. You know, and it's just a different kind of I mean, I would never want to have my grandparents marriage, but <laughs> she was she was disaster. She was not cute. You know, those of you who have followed me on Facebook have heard me talk stories about those relationships. But, you know, again, that kind of powerful, passionate love. Um, that go for broke love. I miss, I miss that in black, in black community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, so what is your, it's complicated. Oh, <laughs> for those who don't boy. know, <laughs> our it's complicated stories are those we have mixed feelings about. We love certain aspects of it, but we recognize how it can be perceived as problematic an incomplete solution to a problem that it's addressing or just has elements that keep us from all the way endorsing and loving it. What do you got for me, AMC? So, (laughs) 
we I, I have to talk about this and you, you guys are gonna hear this ad nauseum for a minute so are we still talking about the slap hurt around the world <laughs> and i know you're gonna scream i know you're gonna do it i said mike is gonna die i cannot but... do another minute of this story why Listen, why amc why because so many people asked me what do you think what do you think i said you know what when it initially happened you know what I did? I went straight to Twitter to just to scroll and see what people are saying. That's what I did. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to say what I have to say on the podcast and done. This initially was supposed to happen when it happened, right? This is when we were supposed to do our podcast and then shit happened. So here we are. I am going to talk about this once and that's it. That's it. Please don't come for me. Don't look for me. This is it. Girl, you better hope they don't turn off this podcast because they sick of hearing about this story, too. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm about to put my disclaimer up because, yeah, listen, truthfully, this shit is not going to end until we hear from Will and Jada if they have their say about it and really do their Red Table Talk Edition thing. If they're going to decide to do that, everybody is going to actually tune in once again to hear all of this shit again. So... I'm just going to have my say now. If they do the Red Table Talk, I'm not talking about it. I'm telling y'all now, don't look for me. Again, don't look for me. All right. So, woo, here we go. Um, Y'all know what happened. I'm not going through all of this. <laughs> That's it. So there are really a lot of layers to this thing. I'm just going to go through a few points, and that's it. So I think that there are multiple responses to the situation. What was Will wrong? Yeah. Time and place. Okay. You don't smack down people. <laughs> Just, you know, you, you don't. You, you don't do that. In any setting, really, where it really, you know, emotions can uh, definitely flare up, as everybody knows. But I, I see so many people talk and judge like they would be level-headed and actually walk up there in, in that moment so calmly and tell him, please don't talk about my wife. C- come on. Come on now. I, I think that you truly don't know what you would do or how things would transpire until you yourself are in the moment. We all would love to think that we have great judgment and, and you know, great um, reflexes in terms of situations like that. But sometimes things can go left real quickly. But yes, I feel that that wasn't a time and place. Is he at fault? Did Chris write the joke? I've read so many different stories. I don't know. I read via Entertainment Weekly that Chris went and he ad-libbed it. Yet I read on another hand that, of course, what I know as I've written scripts for different um, events previously. And as I just said, different events, big events, large events, they always usually have script writers. So you know all of those quirky little jokes are coming from people who wrote the script for people to read off of the teleprompter. Um, so you really don't know which side it's coming from. Are we ever going to find out? I don't know. But, um, if Chris did ad-lib it, that's his ass. I know that Chris has been like digging at Will and Jada for a minute. I think that Will and Jada have been the butt of everyone's jokes. Yeah. Everybody's going to say it's their fault, et cetera, et cetera. I get it, but they've been the butt of everyone's jokes. I think Will snapped, <laughs> and that could have been the end of his patience, the, the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. That was the end. He was done. 
Um, on the other hand of the spectrum, as a black woman watching, like a black man stand up for his lady, I, I when when it happened, and he walked up onto stage and slapped Chris, I screamed. I I was in my living room, on the sofa. I screamed, and that was because in my eyes I was like, oh my god, did he just like get up and do that? And did he? really like try and defend Jada like but Jada can defend herself there were so many things that were going through my mind and now what exactly did you scream when you flew out of this chair I screamed holy shit Will and and the thing is that because this is so out of context for him mind you again I don't we don't know Will we know what has been presented to us but we don't know Will. I haven't read his book yet. I do want to read his book. But from what I've been learning, um, his mom um, was abused, I believe, by his mm-hmm. dad. Yeah, no, his yeah, she was a victim of multiple abuse. And right. Will suffered from deep insecurity about right. the fact that he wasn't able to defend his mom and has uh, lived with the fact that he felt he was a coward as a child mm-hmm. for not physically mm-hmm. defending his mom. And, you know, which I is just that. way too much of a burden to put on it. On, on his childhood self, right? So imagine like living with that burden and, and seeing your wife who is suffering from alopecia um, actually have to sit there and take, you know, a hit like that, especially since she's been talking about it ad nauseum. Like, I, I don't understand how that has gone over someone's head. And to me, kind of when people were like, oh, Chris didn't mean it or or whatnot. It's funny because Chris was like, "Oh, I, I love you, Jada." I felt like he was kind of buttering her up for what was to come. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. There's so many angles to look at it by, and Chris doesn't have a stellar um, rap sheet himself. Um, boy, there, there, there's just so many things to to go through. But if you guys Google good hair, if you guys Google um, the, the the situation with, uh, who was it? Um, I think it was um, Jerry Seinfeld and what was the, uh, C.K. Lewis? Louis yeah, the, C.K.? Louis C.K., there you go. Oh, yeah, the the he allowing the white guys in the room to use the word nigger and, and, and exhaustion. Yeah, it was, that was that was a cringeworthy moment. It was you know, Chris has had several cringeworthy moments when it comes to black folks. And I'm a yes, fan of his yes. comedy, but you Me know. Too. He but, has his mo. He he allows white folks to get away with a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I also read a thread on Twitter um, by Crystal Fleming. Uh, a friend of mine had posted it, and um, it, it it broke down so many like multiple levels of what was happening uh, from a whole other perspective. She went into how black women um are humiliated and always at the brunt of the brunt end of people's jokes and how we're never stood up for in front of a lens how black women have been sexualized and how it's normalized in society and more it's like it's a read it really is a read so as of this podcast airing will has issued an apology he's resigned from the academy and he has now been banned for 10 years by the Academy. So, quote, unquote, the Academy determined that for a period of 10 years from April 8th, 2022, Mr. Smith shall not be permitted to attend any Academy events or programs in person or virtually, including but not limited to the Academy Awards. So that's where that stands. Um, 
what are your thoughts, LMG, so we can just squash this shit and be on our way? <laughs> uh, I'm going to quote what I said on Facebook and about it. And most of this is targeted towards people who I felt were being incredibly hypocritical. Um, you know, and I even put my own parent parents on blast, you know, and talked about the fact like when we when parents abuse or hit their children, quote unquote, discipline their children yes. uh, for being disrespectful with their words, we shouldn't be surprised that those same children grow up to be, uh, <laughs> be hit peers who are disrespectful with their words. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is what we teach mm-hmm. each other. This is a cultural norm in our community. You know, and what I said was we come from violence. The language we use is violence. You know, the jokes we are we tell are often violent. Our cultural sayings we use to connect with one another are violent or hold the threat of violence as an immediate consequence. Um, The films we watch, especially in America, are incredibly violent. Our music is violent. Our games and neighborhood stories are violent. Think about the stories we tell each other and which stories get privileged over others in our neighborhood, often including some form of violence. Mm -hmm. You know, our cartoons for adults and for children are violent. Our national histories are violent. Many of our grandparents, if not our parents, were or are violent. So I'm not going to grandstand or soapbox a single act of violence in a decades-long experience of one person. I find it it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's the hypocrisy of it all for me. The shock isn't that it happened. The shock is that it's the first time it happened. <laughs> and even then, it was only because security was better in the day of John Wayne and Clint Eastwood because Mm -hmm. then the victim would have been an indigenous woman who took the Oscar for Marlon Brando when he won, right? Mm -hmm. They had to physically restrain John Wayne from going to beat up a woman, right? 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 So let's address our national culture of violence if we want to see less of it, because a lot of folks was clutching the pearls and, you know, oh, I would never... You know, let's not elevate ourselves over the weak moment of one person who has otherwise been a model of restraint. Like we ain't been hearing don't start none, won't be none. Nuck if you buck. (laughs) On sight. Right. And the granddaddy of them all manifests destiny. (laughs) If you want to talk about true violent words, um, our whole lives. Will Smith has a reported net worth of $350 million. He's won the Oscar. He's won Grammys. He has a Golden Globe. He's been in 42 films, most of them global hits. He's led a smash hit TV series. He's raised three fine adult children. He's been married for more than 25 years and has had multi-platinum, platinum, and gold albums. If he retired tomorrow, he already did the damn thing. Okay. If they wouldn't let him do anything else, he's already done all the things. There's nothing really they can do to him that he can't recover from should he choose to. But I don't need black folks to hop on this particular takedown bandwagon. It's giving white fragility. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's giving, you know, blindness about our history and our present in relationship with violence. Like one slap Three weeks of conversation, think pieces, mm-hmm. memes. Child, I'm exhausted. We haven't given this much to the war in Ukraine. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'd have thought COVID stopped happening and folks stopped dying. Like I'm I am I am so exhausted 
And and I find it telling that we weren't we eagerly, eagerly want to take down this black man for one act of violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, I'm 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 you know, do I condone what he did? Nah. But I also know everybody got their breaking point, and none of us are our best or our worst moment. None of us. Agreed. So that's all I got on the subject. Woo! That's all we need. Y'all hear me now? Don't come for me. I am not there. (laughs) Moving on. What you got, LMG? (laughs) So my It's Complicated is going to be a bit of a surprise for people. Um, cause I've been very complimentary about this particular experience. So this week is, um, Gerard, make sure I'm saying his name, Gerard Carmichael's, um, HBO Max special, Rathaniel. Mm-hmm. In it, we get to see the maker of the gone much, much, much too soon, the Carmichael show. For those of you who don't know, it featured Loretta Devine, Lil Rel. David Allen Greer and Tiffany Haddish. Some names. There. And ran for three seasons from 2015 to 2017. It was critically acclaimed for all three seasons and only ended because Carmichael decided he wanted to pursue other projects. Now, he followed that up with two more HBO stand up specials and three very personal documentaries, including Home Videos and Sermon on the Mount. In both documentaries, he explores his relationship with his religious family and their secrets, including the impact of Carmichael's father's serial infidelity on his North Carolina family and a first meet between inside and outside family siblings. They both, those, both those documentaries are are searing and thoughtful outings and we both receive critical acclaim. Carmichael has since been an executive producer for the equally short lived show rail and a director for the indie film On the Count of Three, which premiered at Sundance and sits at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes in terms of critics' reviews. So, you know, he's he's batting a thousand. <laughs> so far, I don't think Carmel has had anything that's flopped. Mm-hmm. On his latest foray, this time for HBO Max, again, y'all should cut us a check, HBO. <laughs> 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 we really bigging y'all up on this show today. Uh, Carmichael returns to his stand-up roots with director Bo Burnham, who directed his second special. Um, Spike Lee um, directed his very first one for HBO in 2014. Um, and returns to discussion of family secrets, revealing his own at the age of 35 years old, that Carmichael is a gay man. This, as he's pointed out in subsequent outings on Seth Meyers and SNL, gets him applause in New York, but plays out much differently once he leaves that seemingly more progressive oasis. I don't know about how progressive it is. Those who have been paying attention to the news know that an arsonist just burned down a gay club this week in New York City, injuring three people. For Carmichael and others like myself who came out at age 16 to an equally Christian conservative family in Chicago, you know, Rathaniel feels like a very landmark moment. Um, And while I found Rathaniel reminds me of the best of Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor in the storytelling, it's very raw, unflinching, sometimes deeply uncomfortable, but it's also incredibly honest. You know, the laughs in it for a a comedy special are few. They are present. 
And each is kind of like a welcome release from the pressure of truthful silences. There's, you know, elevated by Carmichael's mastery of the pregnant pause, right? Like he does a lot of just moments of complete silence while he's processing in real time what he's saying. Mm. Um, And Burnham's really, you know, uncomfortably close lensing of his subject in the dark and blue night nightclub in New York is, you know, part of, you know, the art of it. Uh, He does a really good job of getting close-ups on Carmichael's face, you know, when he's deeply uncomfortable himself and awkward and, 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 and thinking through an issue. Um, it's all been held to success already and will likely pick up a lot of Emmys and they are artistically deserved, but the whole enterprise raises questions. What do artists owe their families when their stories intersect with those whose lives are decidedly not in the spotlight? One can argue Carmichael doesn't owe his father's infidelity or his mother's religion driven homophobia, his protection, and that he has the right to tell his story as he experienced it. But as this isn't a past that has been reconciled or redeemed or even really worked out, but a present that is still being hashed out right this minute to this day, like it's still being worked out in real time, is any grace of time owed that process outside of the public eye? Or is no one here owed the grace of time while each party involved is trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answer to that. You know, even one of the, uh, the patrons in the blue note, you know, asked Carmichael, it took you a while to come to reckonings with your sexuality yourself. Don't you think you owe your family at least as much time? And, you know, he, you know, he, he wrestled with that on the show, um, for a minute. um, But I do know that we wouldn't be celebrating Carmichael outing someone before they were ready to be outed. Mm -hmm. Yet we are celebrating the outing of parents who are still reckoning with their sons only just announced sexuality and their own faults and frailties as parents whose examples were ones of secrecy and facades as family values now being put on display for all of us to judge Mm -hmm. and find wanting. Is that fair? I don't know. But as much as I love Nathaniel and the messy nature of Carmichael's public reckoning in real time, Uh I can't help but also be concerned about the collateral damage of doing it also publicly and what that's going to leave in his family's wake. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts? Agreed. Totally agreed. I think think it's a matter of, uh, it's an individual preference in in a general perspective but in this perspective i i totally agree with you i think that uh it would be fair it's not a matter of him actually owing them anything i think it's just playing on an even keel and if you really do want to heal um i think it's there there has to be balance and um the other parties involved have to be allowed the time to marinate and um really really think things through and and come out the other side and have a discussion with you uh, on that topic um i i don't think that's something that should be happening in real time because that could get very messy and then of course you're going to have the open ended opinions of everybody like the, the family is going to be bombarded by that. Um, 
that's going to make their their thought process and their healing process even harder. So I I don't know, man. I, I, I think in this case that that's something that should have been worked out. And then you make your create your 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 um, your project, your vision, whatever it is that you have and you want to work with created from that because there's always the space to tell your story and then um, discuss the healing process. You know what I mean? I do. And I don't necessarily even need them to have healed, but I do think maybe it to have come to some resolve, right? Like, you know, you know, like I, you know, memoirists go through this struggle ethically, right? This is something that comes up in creative nonfiction classes and, and memoir classes for creative writers. Like, you know, how much, are you putting someone else's business out there while you're telling your own story right. because you're privy to their story and it's, and it's part of the context of yours and, and how much do you comfortably share and, and do you need to get permission to do that? Or well, do you, that's where the least, lawsuits roll in, right? You know, you have to be mindful. I mean, even the law doesn't say you can't, I mean, if it happened, I mean, but then again, memory is tricky. One of the things that I, I, I tell people, there was an incident between my grandparents, and I think I've talked about this before, um, where a violent incident occurred between them. And for my senior thesis for undergraduate, I interviewed like five or six different family members who were present for the incident or at mm-hmm. least experienced some aspect of the incident. And none of them told the same story. Mm. None of them, my even my grandmother who experienced it, did not tell me the same story, <laughs> right? Like, it, and so you know, hindsight is 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 strange. You know, memory is not reliable, right? There's a lot of ways in which this plays out. Now, I mean, in in, in Carmichael's case, you know, we know for and these are all facts, right? Like his father was a cheater. His father had outside children. His father, his mother was not aware. Like, apparently, everybody in the town. But his mother was not aware, <laughs> like, oh like was aware God. that her husband was doing all of this, and and she just was the only one who was oblivious. And like even his sons knew and kept it to themselves to protect her. And then ultimately, I guess it got to be too much for them, and they finally told her. Okay. Um, and some of this got you know again hashed out in Sermon on the Mount and on home videos. Um, similarly, like he, Carmichael did talk about the fact that he had had same sex experiences, I think kind of testing the waters to see, you know, how people do like, it's kind of a cliche. It's like, what I joked was that he did an old school, you know, that, oh, I had some bisexual experience, (laughs) 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 you know, before coming full out as gay, Mm -hmm. um, just to see how his mom would take that on camera. right? Right. Like that was also on camera. Um, so it wasn't entirely shocking to me, but even when he was on Seth Meyers, um, you know, after his SNL triumph, they, you know, he was saying like, I was just on the phone with her. She's going to watch this right now. And Seth was asking him questions that he couldn't really answer because they were all experiencing it right now. Like she, she'd seen Nathaniel and, and, um, you know, she had seen SNL, and so she knows these are things that are being talked about, and her yeah. family's being talked about, and her not being aware of her husband's infidelity was being talked about. You know, it's just yeah, that's rough. That I'm sorry, <laughs> that's rough. So I mean, okay, maybe I used the incorrect terminology, maybe the wrong wording um, in terms of healing, but 
I just, I really think like in just this setting for uh, everything to be processed, that it would have been fair and balanced in order for everybody to go to their boxing corners, ruminate on things, and then come back. That's that's all I'm saying. I, I don't think, I don't want to learn in real time. And having people coming up to me in the parking lot while I'm doing my groceries and talking about, Miss Anne-Marie, I heard about this. <laughs> I am not the one. When I tell y'all you're going to have to uh, uh, adopt Xander Collymore, okay? <laughs> because <laughs> that will not be happening on my watch. So I, I that, nah, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I don't think that's the lick at all. And I, I wonder where, like, is this, where was Carmichael, what did he want to gain from this? Like how it was, is he, this was just his project he was putting out and that's it. And he was taking no, his family for the ride? Or no, like, it's clear that he wants, I mean, what what any I mean I must I don't I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about what he has said publicly, but also kind of what artists who do this, including myself, because I've written some very very uh, transparent essays about my family's experiences with things. You know what you want is to be able to let people know that they're not alone, right? right. Like so, in his in the theme of his special is he and his family are trapped by their secrets and that they put on a polite facade and they're polite with each other. And that doesn't allow that lack of transparency, that lack of candor doesn't allow for healing, doesn't allow for growth. Doesn't, it keeps people trapped. It kept him trapped in a closet till he was 35 It kept Mm -hmm. his mother trapped and, you know, believing that everything in her marriage and life was okay when it was clearly evident to many people that it wasn't kept his father trapped in the lie that he was a, you know, this good husband and good man while he's literally, you know, sleeping with the the town. Right. (laughs) You know, so I think that, you know, he's talked repeatedly about how freeing all of this has been and how liberating all of this has been. Mm -hmm. And I get that for him. I mean, and as a black gay man, I get that. And I, and I could hear, and, and then there's messiness about this, but you know, I think that there's a knee-jerk respectability that we all have kind of as Black people around some of this stuff. Like, we, we want to hide things that are not resolved, hide things that are messy, that are not neat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, and, and in his act and in this show, he's, you know, giving an example of it doesn't have to be. I mean, I can hear that being a counter-argument. Like, it, it can you can... Talk about it while it's still being messy, while it's still being worked through to show people how what that looks like, too. We actually don't have a lot of examples of what that looks like. True. So, um, but, I'm, you know, as somebody who, I don't know this man's mom, but I've seen the documentaries of her. I've heard his depiction of her. Mm-hmm. And I just, I would imagine that this has got to be incredibly difficult yeah. For somebody who's as private as she is mm-hmm. to suddenly find her entire family's life on national and international display. Now, her husband seems to be, you know, because he's, you know, they've asked him in interviews and such, um, you know, the dad and the dad seems to be kind of like, you know, do you, son, you know, I support you in this. And, um, you know, and I'm sure some of that is driven out of guilt. I was just about to say that. <laughs> 
I was waiting for you, you know, to finish uh, so that correct. I could say exactly that because I'm like, you ain't shit. You're gonna sit there and take your licks. That's what you're gonna do, right? So, so you're I not think... gonna tell your son anything. Right, exactly. I mean, and, and I know that there are gay men and uh, LGBTQ folks who feel like the mom should take her licks for being homophobic. Um, okay. But I, you know, again, I, I, I worry for this. I don't, you know, I don't even know these people. I worry for this family, like uh, that they may not come out of this okay. And yeah, I, I think he'll come out of this okay. He got millions of dollars. He can go to therapy. I don't know. I don't know that. You know, I don't know that everybody else is gonna come out of this okay. We don't even know what the siblings and you know cousins, you know, have big, you know, big black families. Oh yeah, I'm in the middle of that of one of a big black family. Yeah, so but, I don't know. But anyway, that's my it's complicated. And as you can tell, listeners, it's complicated for us. Yeah, and just I listen, I'm going to wrap up my my scene on that. I just I think it comes down to the question of at what cost. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Whew, child. That's a, that's a heavy one, boy. That was a heavy one. All right, mm-hmm. before we get to that, just know be sure to like, subscribe, follow and share on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on. Also comment or review where possible so that we can climb the charts of the various platform algorithms this show is on. Now back on with the Gibson Gazette. Our just no is just no time. These are stories we hate it or have harsh critiques for. This is where we go in. AMC, what you got? I'm going to have to refrain from cussing a lot. So I'm sorry if I start <laughs> to ramble into, you know, expletives galore. So um, former NFL player Channing Crowder has decided to, decided to open up a can of shut your mouth. Okay, so so let's just dive in here. So recently on the Pivot podcast, um, former Miami Dolphins linebacker, who is Mr. Channing Crowder himself, stated that Sierra, our, our lovely one-two-step Sierra, is only with Russell Wilson, Mr. Flashy, you know, NFL, got them rings, come talk to me, because... Because, and let me quote it directly for y'all. He said, you don't leave future and get with Russell Wilson. It's a type. Everybody has a type. And I love him on the field, but he's fucking square. So this is what he said, calling Wilson a goofball. Now, this is coming from someone who said Cleveland is the anus of America. And also (laughs) reportedly stated that he couldn't find London on a map. Like, Like, that came from... Wikipedia. I'm not going to lie. I lifted it off. I don't know if it's true, true. I looked it up. I couldn't find anything. But if that really came out of his mouth that he couldn't find London on a map and that he did not believe that there were any black people in London. Yeah, no. Okay. So firstly, he stated that she doesn't leave future to get with Russell Wilson. Let's go down this list, shall we? Like, why would I want to be with future just because he has a Grammy? I have looked into some of his, you know, characteristics. And so apparently he is like infidelity infidelity 10.0, this dude. He's just allegedly. (laughs) Don't get us sued. Allegedly. That just came out of my mouth the second time it came out of yours. So thank you for having my back. (laughs) So again, and I will say it again, allegedly. 
um yeah infidelity is his name so um and allegedly again i know he has many children i just don't know how many but um he has um different children with i think individually with different women i think it's about maybe five five or six or seven <laughs> i don't know I think the number is supposed to be seven i think it's seven, seven. yeah so right and I do remember at a time he was sued for not paying child support by one of his, um, the mother of his children. I hate to say baby mamas. I don't like that. So on the positive note, the, the positive note that I did find is that he does tap into his philanthropic side now and then with his free wishes um, foundation, his charity. Now over to Wilson now, Mr. Russell Wilson. So dude has played quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, as I stated. Um, just recently, he was traded to Denver uh, this season. Russell does plenty of charity work. I'm not going to run that down. Google him if you need to. He has a bachelor's in communications and I think a master's as well in educational leadership and policy analysis. Shit I ain't never heard of except in educational leadership, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> like... I said, listen, dude has options if his NFL career falls to the wayside. He can do something. And um, he's a Christian man, but again, that's neither here nor there. So that depends on what you like, what you don't like. So on paper, people, I mean, come on. So here's my thing, though. Really, uh, Sierra went through enough drama with Future. And of course, apparently, I'm sure with the other men in her life, like she kissed enough frogs to finally land her prince. Okay. So why would she want to invite any more of that like nasty energy in? That would be self-sabotage. So personally, when I'm looking for companionship or someone to spend the rest of my life with, I'm not gung-ho on marriage, but that's a whole other conversation. Y'all, I don't want drama. I want serenity. I want laughter. I want someone spirited. I want comfort. I want trust and honesty. So I want somewhere for my heart to call home. If it is accompanied by Russell's type of corniness and being goofballish, I'll take it. Because, like, why, why come for Sierra like that? Why does she have to be with Russell for money when it's obviously clear that she has her own shit? She's been on her own shit for a while. She's doing for herself. She has her clothing line. She has a whole bunch of other things that she does. She's always hosting, what's it called, New Year's Eve rocking night. She's still doing her thing. She does not need validation. So what came to mind for me was I realized that um, some Black men, and again, don't come for me, y'all, but some Black men just can't be happy for Black women and keep it moving without spewing sewage and talking out the side of their mouth or their ass and literally dragging us for the world to see. So in the past few months, the topic of dragging Black women as not good enough to date, being proud or not dating, being proud of not dating us, dating Black women, having an issue with Black women wearing their hair natural, and it goes on and on, has come up quite a bit. And from a black man's perspective, which is like really deplorable as black women, we have enough to go through on the daily enough. So, just, I mean, for example, just watch the Supreme Court hearings for the newly appointed associate justice of the United States Supreme Court. Katanji went through it. She went through it from the Republicans. And that will give you some insight. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So, I mean... I, 
I'm agitated when I saw <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> I never noticed. Yeah, that should make my blood boil. I'm like, really? Like, can we just like if my parents taught me if you have nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all, man. Keep your mouth shut. People don't hear, and those who don't hear must feel. So what do you think, LMG? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I I I hate the manosphere. Um I hate all of the toxic masculinity and pro patriarchy. Yes. You know, misogynoir that comes out of that that uh, sector of black manhood. It's embarrassing. Um, I don't find it productive. I'm like, who do y'all want to fuck? Who do y'all want to marry? Who do y'all want to raise your kids? Like, your hatred for women is so, like, because we gays, we don't want you either. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the... But, the, I mean, it comes down to that on some level. Like, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Like, the hatred of women is so deep and intense and in need yeah. of therapy that you can't help but ask, like, you know, do you even like women? Do you like female energy? Do you like feminine energy? Like, or do you mm-hmm. only like the servitude of women and the fact that they can bear your children, you know, and and then end up raising them too. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't, um, I don't understand. I don't get it, uh, you know. And, and I've even had to have this conversation with male family members who are heterosexual um, in my family and kind of check them about their misogynoir and some of the kind of beta male versus alpha male language that I'm just fine gross. Like, I don't, I didn't like it as a child growing up, um, even though I had to listen to a lot of that, you know, especially as a child of the 70s and 80s. Um, And, you know, as a way to be a man, like the way to be a man was this way. And a lot of those lessons were toxic. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, in terms of Russell, Russell's gorgeous also. Like, I mean, you didn't even talk about the fact that the man is very handsome. You know, my, you know, like he's he's handsome, he's paid, he's educated, he's, you know, I'm, you know, whether he's giving, whether he's a Christian or not is like whatever. But I mean, he has a moral compass, which is what you will want. And they share values. Like, you know, she wanted somebody she could pray with. He prays with her. She wanted Mm -hmm. somebody that she could go to church with. They go to church together. She wanted somebody like she had her own Sierra's prayer that she's didn't share with the world. Now, I couldn't, you know, sometimes they can be a bit much with that. Like, I didn't necessarily need to hit your prayer, sis. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, nor did I need, to, you know, he, he did some kind of, you know, slightly manipulative stuff on the Ellen show recently about, I you know, kind that. of putting her on, you know, putting her on a, and cornering her a little bit publicly about yes. his desire to have more children, more which, kids. you know, was a cringy moment. But, um, you know, but overall, I find them adorable. I think that they're gorgeous to look at. I think they're in, very charming and endearing to watch. Mm-hmm. And if people's happiness and joy inspires bitterness in you, then you might want to find out what that is because those people are minding their business and living their lives. Why do you hate it so much? Like, right. What is, you know, what is that? Like, is, is it jealousy? Is it envy? Is it insecurity? Because you aren't able to be that you know i don't know what you know mm-hmm. but whatever it is that seems personal it doesn't seem like it's any of their business mm-hmm. 
Yep. I just, I look at them sometimes in pictures. I see the way that they, they speak to each other, the way that they connect, the way they talk to each other. Like it's, you can see that they're in love. They are together. They are doing their thing. They're happy blissfully. Like it's, it's sometimes it's, it's nauseating, but <laughs> they're happy. You know, <laughs> they are a hundred percent happy. Leave them alone. Let them be. So it was the same. Uh, this, I was in the same mind frame as well. I thought it was it was jealousy. I'm like, well, if you got to start talking out of your ass in order to um, receive any kind of attention, then uh, yeah, that's an issue that you need to take on and and dissect, my dear. Uh, I don't. I, I really don't know where that was coming from at all, and what was the reason for it too. I mean, and for all things, there is a season. They might last 30 years. They might last five. They might break up tomorrow. Who but in knows? this moment, they're they're, happy. they're deliriously happy with each other. And that should be celebrated yep. in a time where, you know, so many people are lonely. So many people are alone. So mm-hmm. many people want and seek to find a life partner and fall short. So anytime we see a healthy looking appearing, you know, who knows what's behind closed doors, but appearing healthy couple, why is that not enough? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I hated it too. Thank you for that. Hating it. Um, (laughs) So my hating it is as old as the hills. And I'm wondering why we still have to have this conversation in the year of our Lord, 2022. Mm. Why are we still using the gay panic defense in 2022? So according to ABC7 and why, Nathaniel Glover, 62, also known as Kid Creole, Mm. was found guilty of manslaughter in the first degree on Wednesday for a deadly stabbing of 55-year-old John Jolly in Midtown, um, in 2017. Now, his attorney said that the stabbing happened as Glover was walking to his maintenance job, or Kid Creole was walking to his maintenance job in Midtown Manhattan shortly before midnight on August 17th, August 1st, 2017. Um, Jolly asked him, What's up? Creole's lawyer went on to ask the jury, Ladies and gentlemen, this is New York City. It's 12 o'clock at night. Who's saying what's up to you with good intentions? Glover's lawyer, Scotty Celestine, told the jury and then said this. His fear for his life was reasonable. Get the hell out of here. Celestine also tried to argue that Jolly died from a dose from the sedative um, that was given to him at the hospital, not the stab wounds, not the multiple stab wounds. Of course, uh, assistant, you know, a district attorney, uh, Mark Dahl, told the jury Glover confessed to the police that he didn't stab Jolly in self-defense, but rather in anger because he thought Jolly was hitting on him. Now, he's, you know, and he said to the same jury, the defendant confessed to pulling out a kitchen knife. Now, you know, the other thing is like, who's walking around with you steak want, knives? A like, kitchen knife, though? <laughs> who's walking around with steak knives? <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. And repeatedly thrusting it into the body of a stranger on the street, killing him. Was there anything that would prevent him from simply running away from Mr. Jolly? No. Now, for those who don't know who Kid Creole is, 
Creole is a member of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, who are best known for their 1982 rap song, The Message. The hip-hop pioneers formed in the late 1970s in the Bronx, recorded two albums, 1982's The Message from Sugar Hill Records and 1988's On the Strength for Electra Records, and became the first rap, rap act to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007. This Kid Creole should not be confused <laughs> with the band Kid Creole and the Coconuts. This is not the same guy. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I suddenly feel very bad for that Kid Creole because for the rest of his days, he's confused with a gay panic murderer. <laughs> so, right. That's poor, poor Kid Creole and the Coconuts. They might want to, I don't know, what do you do with that? Like your brand is now suddenly from somebody else named Kid Creole. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, since his rap days, he's been living in the Bronx, working as a security guard and a handyman, which is totally respectable. And though he's had a few, more than a few weapons possession charges over the years. Now, legendary status aside, there can be no more excuse for this murder as it has been for just like it has been for the beatboxing and hip-hop DJing pioneer African Bambada of the Zulu Nation for child sexual abuse or mm-hmm. R. Kelly or Bill Cosby. We have to stop making excuses for this these trash ass cishead black men just because they once were something special for our community or made an artistic contribution to our creative lineage. Their specialness in one area shouldn't preclude us from staring directly in the face of their evil in another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't even know if this homeless man was gay or not. He might have just been about to hit up Creole for some change or food. He was homeless. Right? You know, and just the mere perception of his queerness got him killed. You know, And now this rap legend is going to be behind bars, potentially for up to the next 25 years, compounding the tragedy. Hmm. Now, what kind of trash-ass lawyer is still using a gay panic defense? I hadn't heard that since the days of the Jenny Jones talk show. You know, so now for those who are uninitiated, because we recognize we got some babies who might listen to our (laughs) show, Gen Zs, millennials, who may not remember, Jones was a very popular talk show in the tabloid vein. Um, up in 1995, Jones taped an episode called Same Sex Secret Crushes, in which Scott Amador, a gay man, confessed to an associate, Jonathan Schmitz, that he had a crush on him. Schmitz appeared unconcerned. He laughed and on the camera about the revelation in front of the audience. But three days after that taping, he killed Amador. And, you know, for those of you who might have seen some clips about this in the HBO documentary Talk to Death, or the Netflix docuseries Trial by Media. Um, Smith's history of mental illness and alcohol and drug abuse came into light during the trial in which Smith was later convicted of second-degree murder. So he had tried this gay panic defense too, and it did not get him off. (laughs) He only just got out of jail um, or released on parole in August of 2017, right? So this defense didn't work in 1995, why are we still using this defense in 2022? Wow. <laughs> now, as a legal strategy, a legal defense strategy, gay panic has actually been outlawed in several countries. Unfortunately, in most of the U.S., outside of the entire West Coast, you can try that all the way from Oregon <laughs> and Washington State, all the way down to the end of California, is outlawed there. Um, several New England states also outlawed this defense 
Um, however, several other states um, have also tried to, you know, propose bills to ban this defense, including, shockingly enough, Texas and Florida. Huh. Though with the rise of Don't Say Gay, you know, parental panic bills yeah. happening, I doubt that those bills will have legs. Mm-hmm. Um, trans panic has also been among the latest strategies to try to get hate-mongering murderers off from everything from manslaughter to murder charges against those who have slain trans women victims. This is you a know, thing? This like, is a I, thing. You know, I all this, you know. Them. Like, wow, okay. In this day and age, not that it should ev- not not that it should have ever been acceptable, right? But in this day and age, certainly now, it should not be acceptable to murder someone because you perceive them as queer or trans and approaching you or liking you or flirting with you or otherwise making a romantic gesture toward you just because you're straight. You mm-hmm. can say you're straight, dismiss them as someone you're not interested in and move on like a grown up. Right. Punching them, kicking them, maiming them, murdering them. Any violence against them should be off limits. Full stop. The right? That we have to mention that is just abhorrent. I mean, because you you have folks who be like, you know, we, we know Black Twitter. You have some folks who are like, well, you know, this nigga come up to me like that. He oh, better yeah. be ready for me to throw hands. You know, you know, like mm-hmm. like that's that makes you what? It doesn't make you a big man. It doesn't make you like appear strong. To me, it makes you look incredibly insecure and and suspect for real. Like if you have to go to the that extreme to prove your heterosexuality, how fragile is your heterosexuality? Yep. You know. Agreed. Agreed. Holy you know. Shit. But I'm... it's you know it's dangerous and and it doesn't work. That's the other thing. It doesn't work. And it's people, been proven that it doesn't <laughs> work. People keep, using it. people keep going to prison for it. <laughs> oh my god! This street code around this does not do anything to help you. It might help you maybe in prison with the other inmates who might be give you dap while y'all both sitting through time, but it's not doing anything out here with you know respectable people. Mm-hmm. So that was oh, my wow. you know this is my you know hated it. Um, you know, and also, you know, Kid Creole is an elder. He's like 60. To, like, he's going to die in prison, probably. He sure will. I think so. Well, he'll be old and wretchedy when he... Oh, wretchedy. Yeah, well, like, right. you know, 87 <laughs> years, you know, up, potentially 87 years old when he gets out. When he gets out, Because yeah. robbing this 55-year-old homeless man, Imagine. a homeless man of his life. My God. There's yeah. no way. I'm sorry. You're telling me I have more cojones than Kid, Cor- Kid Creole? Because I would be walking the road in Midtown like 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. There were so many days back in New York where I would be riding the subway back home from running the road all night <laughs> going to events. And you running into everybody on the road. So say your piece and keep it moving. There's no way you need to grab your kitchen knife from your knapsack and kill somebody. Like, who does that? Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, oh, and, oh. and I, I mean, luckily, I haven't been looking for it. So I haven't seen how this news just happened today. So I don't know what kind of the fallout has been. But mm-hmm. I, um, 
I'm probably going to avoid Twitter. <laughs> oh, man. You know, because I just remember how much African Bombada was defended, you know, despite multiple sexual abuse allegations Still made against defended. him. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's great that he was he did all of these amazing things for the culture. He mm-hmm. also harmed some people, potentially. Like, mm-hmm. and that should also be confronted. Yep, 100% keeps on so, being swept under the rug and then it takes one something else to happen and then it's actually you know back in the limelight i i don't understand how nothing has been done at all as yet at all yeah i don't know well amc this is going to be our shortest show which is funny because given how, how how long we've been talking right this is going to be our <laughs> shortest show because y'all are trife Yes, you, are, yeah, you listeners, you're, you're trife. With a capital T. With a capital, With a capital T. T. You won't feed us the nourishment of good what the fuck and salacious stories. We have asked you several times. We've given you the email address is thegibsongazette at mm. gmail.com. You know my last name is spelled G-I-P. So if you've been sending it to G-I-B, that's on you. It's mm. all over everything we sent out. <laughs> <laughs> GIP, the Gibson Gazette. Uh, so you know, we love to beg and wait for you to send us. We ain't giving up on this segment because we we love this segment. This was fun for us. I so you know, y'all lucky I didn't pull up a, another negative story like I did last time about them badass kids. Listen, but we gonna wait for you this time. We gonna wait. I refuse to beg because you see all y'all nasty little watchy words that were in LMG's inbox about I want to see Marlon's um sex video. I need to hear from y'all because you guys are the ones that are sitting on them juicy ass stories. So come with it. Thank you very much. Huh? Yeah, they definitely were like, yeah, for all you freaks who was trying to get the Marlon's dick shot, y'all could go ahead and tell me y'all freaky stories because clearly. Clearly, there's some there there. All right. If you have anything else for our audience, AMC. No, sir. I'm just going to sip on my Perrier and um, wait for these uh, salacious stories to come in. I want you all to have a good run. (laughs) And we will hear you all soon. Have a good night, y'all. This is the Gibson Gazette signing off. As we wonder, what are the stories you're telling the world? Better still, what are the stories you're telling yourselves? Good evening. Thank you.